Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are in week two of our series entitled Plastic Surgery. This week's messages are led by the Reverend Doug Rary and the Reverend Dr. John Guest, and will also feature the testimony of one of our congregation members who will be sharing about some of the things that God is doing in the life of him and his wife. Now, here is Pastor Doug with his message for this week. Thank you for listening. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, I just thank you so much for this place. I thank you for this church. God, I thank you for all that you are doing in this city, through, through all of the churches. I thank you for what you're doing here through ours as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come upon this place, that we would be able to feel and sense your presence. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word, and I pray that it would be your words that are spoken here this morning and not mine. And all God's people said, amen. I don't know if they still do this anymore, uh, but I can remember being in elementary school, and it was first grade, I think, and they had this Santa's workshop in the school. And so uh, mom would give you some money, and you'd go in, and at a period of time during the school day, you'd go into this room where they had all these tables lined up of all of these different things that you could take mom's money, and you could buy it. And with the intention of being able to give it at Christmas time. You know what I'm talking about? And I remember this uh, very, very well. This will not leave my memory. Um, that, uh, it, you know, it was, it was my time. It was first grade year. Mom gave me some money. I went into the room and I got this little plastic bag and I saw all of the things. And, uh, and I had no understanding of really money or buying or anything. But I, 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 I had the bag and I started walking through the tables and I saw, oh, little rubber toy dinosaur. That's sweet. And I put that in there. And then I saw, oh, Transformers. I love Transformers. And I put that in there. And then I went and I had a really big fan of Matchbox cars. And so I got a Matchbox car, put it in there. And I am telling you, I started flying down the table, right? And just putting stuff in my bag faster than like the teacher's aides could, could keep up with me, you know? And, and they finally got up with me and explained, no, 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 no. This, this is for you to be able to buy stuff for your family and for your friends, right? Not, not, not for you, right? And, uh, I didn't have an understanding of money at that time. And I didn't have an understanding of, of what it meant to, to give up, to give to others. But I did have an understanding of getting what I want. I had an understanding of getting what I want. And that understanding has never gone away. I still want things. I still want things. In fact, I wonder what I would want if I didn't know what everyone else already had. I wonder what I would have or what I would own if I did not know what everyone else already had and owned. I also wonder how much more money I would have saved if I didn't know what others spent their money on. Most importantly, I wonder how much more money I would have given away to people who have less than I have if I didn't know what the people who have more than I have had. See, my problem is this. I know too much. (laughs) I know too much. I know too much. I know too much about what others have, and I know about what I do not. And this 
information makes me dangerously discontent. Dangerously discontent. It lures me to the edge of financial ruin. It lures me to the edge of too much credit card debt. It lures me into making decisions I wouldn't normally make and decisions that I would come to regret. It feeds an internal appetite, an appetite that is never fully satisfied. But that's just me. I wonder, if you're not careful, could you see that being true for you too? Because if we're not careful, we will find ourselves in financial ruin. Now, financial ruin can mean one of two things. Financial ruin could mean that we have dug ourselves into such a deep ditch financially that we are in big financial trouble. Or financial ruin could also mean that we have a ton of money, but our spiritual lives are ruined because of what we do with our finances. You see, you could be completely out of debt and have loads of money in the bank, but you could still be in trouble financially. You could have the house paid off. You could have the cars paid off. You could have all of your college tuition saved up, or if you have kids, you could have all of their college tuition saved up. But according to Jesus, you could still be in financial ruin. You see, there's two ends to the spectrum when it comes to our finances and financial ruin. The first end is this, is that we consume too much with our money. But the other end of the spectrum is that we hoard our money. You see, the the first end is unbridled desire. Consume, consume, consume. Buy, buy, buy. Upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. I upgraded last year. Anybody else? The other, though, the other is unbridled fear. What if I don't have enough? What if we don't have enough? What if something bad happens? And the root cause for both ends of the spectrum is greed. Now, when we think of greed, we often think of some evil corporate fat cat who just wants more and more and more, like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons, right? Excellent, you know? But that's not the kind of greed I'm talking about today. Greed is simply this. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. It's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. It's the assumption that if it's placed in my hands, then it's for me. It's the assumption that if it shows up in my checking account, then it's for me. It's the assumption that if it goes into my 401k, then it's for me. That if it's part of my inheritance, then it's for me. That if I hit the lottery, man, what are the odds of that? That must be God's will. Then it's for me. It's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. See, here's the problem. Are we living as if all there is to life 
is this life? Are we living as if all there is to this life is this life? Because if I believe that all there is to this life is this life, then eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow I die. But if there's something inside of you, if there's something in you that says there has to be, there has to be something more to this life, if there's something in you that says there has to be something beyond this life, then we dare not live our lives under the assumption that it's all for my consumption because we believe that there's something more out there, that there's something more that's beyond. You know, I don't know about you, but I've attended a lot of funerals, and I haven't seen too many hearses pulling a U-Haul behind it. Right? We all have too much stuff. And we don't get to take that stuff with us. The other day I was in the basement. I was looking for some electronic device. And I pulled out this Rubbermaid container that I marked AV equipment. And I opened it up. And I had hoarded all of these coaxial cables and VCR kind of things, stuff that I will never use again, stuff that I could have given away to somebody who needed it. But there it is. If it was food, it would be rotting, right? We don't get to take that stuff with us. In fact, the Bible says there's only two things we get to take with us, our character and our relationships. Now, here's the deal to all of us, and you all know this, to all of us at one time or another, financial trouble will come along. Financial trouble will come along. Maybe it's trouble that you've created. Spending got out of control. Maybe you bought too much house, or maybe you, you leased too much car, or maybe it's, it's trouble that someone else created. Maybe someone laid you off, or maybe someone lied to you about an investment. Uh, maybe a loved one, maybe your child got sick, and there are some medical bills and other bills associated with that that goes along. Maybe a partner took some money and ran off. Or maybe somebody cheated and now you're out of a job. You know, I once worked for a restaurant. I, I started as a busboy, worked up to waiter, worked up to this, this kind of assistant, lowly assistant manager of this restaurant. And the restaurant had a proprietor. He wasn't the owner. To use the biblical language, he was just the steward. Okay, I actually never met the owner. And the proprietor, he didn't pay his taxes and his fees on the liquor license of that restaurant. And so the owner, knowing how, how much it would cost to, to try to get that back and how actually difficult it would be to acquire that in the particular county that we were in, what he did was he chained up the doors to the restaurant. And so I came in to open up the restaurant and there was chains all over all the doors. And suddenly I was out of a job. You see... When we get in trouble financially, something interesting happens. We pray. It could be like this uh, on your way to the bank kind of whisper. Oh, dear God, let there please be just a little bit more when I go to the ATM. Or it could be a flat on your stomach. Oh, God, my God, <laughs> please do not forsake me. It's me. Doug, 
I haven't spoken to you in a while, but I'm here with my Bible and my cross. And just in case I got a rabbit's foot too, I just need your attention, God. Please help me while I'm in this financial trouble. You see, when we pray prayers like these, this is truly what we're praying. Dear God, I would like to invite you into my finances. I'm in trouble. And God, I would like to invite you into my finances. It's an invitation for God to get involved in your money. We say, God, I just, I just need a job. God, I just, I just need a consolidation loan so I could, I could just kind of get out of this ditch that I've dug myself in. God, I just need your help paying this, this medical bill or, or some of the other bills that came along with my loved one being sick. God, I, I just I need to get out of debt. Would you help me get out of debt? Or God, I, I just need some time. I just need a, a break. I just need a little bit of time. Would you multiply the time so I could get things right and reorder things financially? But here's my question. If we are all willing to invite God into our money when there's a problem, why do we sometimes hesitate to invite God into our money before there's a problem? You know, that's why Jesus gave such praise to the poor widow in our scripture focus today. In Mark 12, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, he began to teach. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. She spent less. She gave to God first, and then she trusted God for the rest. All throughout the Gospels, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus talks about money a lot. Jesus gives us some boundaries when it comes to money. Jesus gives us some teachings about money and how to use it. And Jesus outlines for us a process to help us avoid financial ruin and to grow us to be the type of person that God wants us to be. Today, and quickly, I just want to talk to you about just three of the many truths that Jesus teaches about money. But guess what? Like this poor widow, they all begin with spending less, giving to God first, and trusting God for the rest. The first one is this. Giving is a method that God uses to help us grow. It's a method he uses to help us grow, to help us grow spiritually, to help us grow in responsibility, to help grow our character, to even help grow our discipline. And these are all things that no matter where we are in life, we could always do better in. You know, my wife and I, we, we stream all of our TV and movies off the internet. 
We do that because we want to control the content that comes into our house. Not just for my wife and I, but especially for my little kids. And I'll never forget, this is just just a week and a half ago, it, it just blew my mind. This horrible thing that happened is that this, this app that we have for Disney cartoons for our children suddenly started showing commercials. Not just any commercials, but commercials for toys. Just in time for the Christmas season. It never happened before. And so I was actually at the dining room table doing a little writing. And my kids are, are getting ready to watch their favorite Disney cartoon. And they watched in a row half a dozen toy commercials getting ready for Christmas. And what do you think came out of their mouth? Well, they saw something. Oh, I, I want that for Christmas. Oh, hey, mom, mom, dad, forget that first thing. I now, I want that for Christmas. Wait a minute. Is there any way I could get both for Christmas? You know what I'm saying? I need you to understand something, though. My seven-year-old girls before that day had never seen a toy commercial. They had never seen a toy commercial. And all of a sudden, they were overwhelmed with this desire to have and to want. And we could understand that and we could relate to that. But what does that say about us? How much more do you think that we want those of us who are desensitized to the the culture and, and the way that it teaches us to spend first? See, our culture teaches us that we spend first. And then maybe, maybe if we have some discipline, we might save a little bit. And then maybe if there's just anything left over, and especially if Sarah McLaughlin sings a song about little dogs, we take what we have left over, and maybe we might give it. That's what the culture is teaching us. Me first, me second, and then maybe if there's a little bit left over, we give. But actually, if I want to be honest with you, our culture really teaches us this. Me first, me second with all this credit card debt, spending money I don't have. So I got the money I do have, I spend it all. Then I got the money I don't have, I spend that. Me first, me second. If there's a dollar, maybe I might put it in the bank and save it, okay? And if I got a couple of pennies, sure, why not I, I toss that in the, in the little Ronald McDonald box at McDonald's, right? Me first, me second, me third, then maybe give. Jesus says to us, well, you got that all backwards. You got it all backwards. First of all, like Pastor Jared taught us last week, we got to get rid of debt. And then Jesus says, listen, you give to me first. You give to God first. You give your tithe to the church. Give it first. Then save a little. Don't hoard it. But save a little and then live on the rest. Jesus says this as a method to help us grow. Why? Because it's one of the primary methods God will use to grow you. Now grow to be like what? To be like Jesus. To be Christ-like. Did you know that you will never be more like God than when you give. 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. God loves us, so he gives. I love my children, so I give. In fact, I get a lot, in a lot of trouble with my wife. I go out to the store, maybe I see something, it's small and affordable, but something that I know that they would want, that they would love. And my children are always so thankful, so it's so easy. And I bring it home and I surprise them. I give to them because I love them. We give to what we love. We give to what we love. What do you love the most? Well, Jesus says, look at where your money goes, and there you'll find the answer. You see, when it comes to money, Jesus goes directly to the heart of the matter. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, so wherever your money is or what you spent it upon, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You see, the primary issue for Jesus is not money. It's not how much money you have. The primary issue is where is your heart? Is it with God? Or is it with money and wealth and stuff? Do we have money? Or does money have us? Do we own it? Or does it own us? Do we use it? Or does it use us? Do we possess it or does it possess us? Listen to this. The reason why Jesus teaches so much about money is because he knows that the chief competitor for your heart is money. The chief competitor for your heart is money and what money might promise. He knows that money and the stuff I spend it on is the number one competition against God for my heart. The second truth is this, is that giving is a trust exercise. Jesus continues, so, so don't worry about these things saying, what will I eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? And by the way, 2,000 years ago, okay, what you ate and what you wear was a big thing to worry about. You only had like two things of clothing, right? Your work clothes and then your nice clothes, and food was not necessarily easy to come by. So this is what their worries were. We might say, what do I drive or where will I live, right? But Jesus says, don't worry about these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Do I trust that God's promises are reliable? Do I trust that God will provide for me? Or do I fear? Do I fear that it's all up to me? That if I don't work hard enough, if I don't get enough, if I don't acquire enough, I might not have enough. Do I truly trust that if I give to God first, that he is going to provide with the rest? Do I trust that? 
Do I trust that God is going to bless my life with the other 90%? Paul writes this. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must must each decide in your heart how much to give. Hear this. Do not give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. God wants you to give cheerfully. In other words, God wants you to give when you want to give. Why? Because if we give reluctantly or if we give under pressure, it's going to destroy the whole growth process. It's all about our desire to give. You know, if we give under uh, pressure or under obligation, uh, it's kind of like paying dues to some sort of organization, like a, like a homeowner's association or, or, or maybe a gym membership or, or maybe some country club that requires dues to belong to or maybe some workers union that requires dues to belong to. You know, I'm on the homeowner's association in my neighborhood. And can I just tell you that people don't give dues to the HOA because they, they want to grow spiritually. They don't give dues to the HOA because they want to learn more about responsibility, because they want to be more disciplined. No, they give dues to the HOA because if they don't, I'm going to put a lien on their house, right? Tithing is not paying dues to your church. You choose to give because you love your church. You choose to give because you love God. You choose to give because you trust God's promise that he's going to provide for you. And you trust that that's going to be true. I want to invite one of my closest friends up here to share his story of walking with God, giving. Ben Follett, who's a faithful father. And who also invests his time in our youth ministry. Would you welcome Ben? Thank you. Am I on? Can you hear me now? Sweet. So um, Doug asked me to give a testimony on tithing. And I'll be honest, I didn't want to do it. Uh, Mainly because people don't like to talk about giving, talk about money. And it's certainly not a part of my my faith story that uh, I think a lot about. But... Um, my wife and I have been married for 10 years, and over the last 10 years, um, you know, we've faithfully tithed. And um, by faithfully tithed, I mean my wife was really good at it, and she had to really get me to be good at it. And so she's certainly the rock in that case. Um, but we love giving to our church, and we love giving to missionaries that have, you know, really impacted our lives. But, you know, it's not always done um, with a joyful heart. And I think, you know, being that I'm, you know, I have a a job and I'm in the corporate world and, you know, I I buy things and stuff like that. I always kind of expect that when I give, I expect kind of this immediate return, just like we do when we buy something, right? I give, I I spend my money and I get something back in return. But I'm not sure that that's the way that God always works. I know that in some places I've seen in some people's lives and in, in some people's stories that they give or they bless somebody else and God immediately returns that blessing, um, and that's great, but in my life, I feel that God is certainly working in a different way. And so, you know, I've always been blessed with a good job and, and really 
as I grew up and, and as we've been married, I've never really worried about money. Not to say I had a lot of money, but I just didn't really worry about it. My wife runs our life like a budget, and I just say, here you go. And she makes me balance my checkbook when I can just look at it on the Internet. I don't understand that, but that's neither here nor there. So, anyways, um, you know, but over the last few years, um, you know, we've, we've really started to struggle because we have struggled to, to actually start a family. Doug and I have very similar stories in that regard. And so over that time, we struggled, but we knew for sure, we knew for a fact, without a doubt, that we were supposed to be parents. And I, I knew more than anything I've ever known in my entire life that I was supposed to be a dad. Um, thankfully, I'm a, I'm a dad to two little girls, which is great. But um, so ultimately, you know, we couldn't have children on our own. So we decided that, um, you know, we were going to take these next steps to, um, you know, with, with, with procedures and medications and stuff like that. And just, but that was going to be super hard on us financially, you know, it costs a lot of money, but we just trusted that God would provide and, and whatever that looked like, we didn't know, but we knew that God wanted to have, have ask, you know, wanted us to have kids. So we were going to go that way. And so it wasn't long after that, that I received, um, a, a card in the mail. And that's something that doesn't often happen. I don't receive mail much anymore that I don't just throw in the trash or hand to my wife. Cause it's a bill. Um, and so I received this letter in the mail, and it was from my aunt and uncle in Delaware, who didn't know really anything that was going on in our lives. But um, I opened this letter, and, and in it was a it was a check, and it covered all the medicine that that we had that, that my wife needed for what was going on. But it also included this note, and I just want to read just a little part of it. And it said, "You know, we know um, this is from my aunt and uncle. We know that you you really can't buy God's blessing, but if it helps to put some of the worry or stress behind you, then we hope this helps." You two give so much of yourselves to your church and your youth group, and we hope this gift's, gift allows you to breathe a little easier. And so for those who know me, I'm not a super emotional guy. I don't get caught up in those sort of things. That started to change a little bit because I have two little girls that just wreck me all the time. But um, that really just, you know, that, that showed me that God shows up. You know, God showed up in this way that wasn't an immediate return on a blessing that we had been giving and tithing, but showed up when we truly needed him. And so through all this, God is teaching me uh, a few things. The first is that the benefit of tithing stretches beyond just that financial benefit, just the gift that you give to the church, right? When we commit to tithing, um, and this is what Doug was talking about, you know, I choose to trust God first. I choose to trust God um, in that part of my life, which allows me to be better at trusting God in other parts of my life as well, which is something that, you know, we all need. The second, though, is that a regular discipline of tithing, um, all while difficult at times, is 100% an investment in the future. Um, and so when we faithfully invest in the kingdom, there will always, 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 always be a return on that investment. And for me, it's important to remember that investment's not always for me, right? It's not always something that I will see or that I will get to be a part of. Um, and it's, in most cases, it's not what I expect. God doesn't show up in the way that I expect him to show up. But in that case, it's just another exercise in trusting him, trusting that God knows infinitely more than I could ever know about my own finances and about my tithe and about what that is for. And finally, that he promises that whatever we give, whether we give our money, whether we give our time to a ministry, whether we give our time to serving in, in whatever capacity, that those that money and that time is being used to to glorify him and, and further his kingdom. And that's ultimately, you know, what it's all about. So 
That's it. That's my story. Thanks, Ben. Let me just finish with this. This is this third truth that Jesus teaches often that you cannot outgive God. You can't. You cannot outgive God. Jesus says in, in Luke 6, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will the, re, determine the amount you will get back. You know, it was uh, this past summer that uh, uh, my, I, I have a riding mower. Cutting grass with my riding mower, and I bought this riding mower really well used from my dad. Okay, and my riding mower started to give me a lot of trouble. Okay, so the the cutting deck uh, started to kind of uh, go sideways, and then eventually would fall off. Okay, and so I'd have to kind of put it back together, you know. And the the battery died in my riding mower, and I, I really just didn't have the money to go and buy a new battery. But I had one of those uh, those battery jump starter things you keep in your car, so I duct taped that to the back of the mower and then hooked it up, right? And so I could I could still be able to cut my grass. And and even then, my grass because of the riding uh, the cutting deck would. Uh, would be kind of cockeyed whenever I'd cut like that, right? And I'd have all this trouble, and I was just spending all this time kind of like starting and stopping, but it was okay. It was okay. But then I found out, uh, and this was just a couple weeks ago, I found out that two doors down, my neighbor, she was going to be selling her riding mower. And, uh, and I went to her, and I said, hey, listen, before you put that on the Internet to sell, would you give me maybe an opportunity to buy it? Would you tell me how much you want for it? Because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the market for a new mower. So she writes to me and she said, you know, we were kind of hoping that we would get $600 for this mower. And she gave me the make and the model and I looked it up. And brand new, this is a $3,000 mower. And then I looked it up used and across the whole country, uh, different, different scales, but it was anywhere between $1,200 and $1,400 used. And she only wanted $600 for it. What a steal. But I only had $500 cash in the bank. And really, that money needed to go to pay off some credit card debt that I'd accrued because my daughter was sick, going and visiting her, and so on and so forth. And so I remember praying uh, really hard about this. Do I really need this? Is this really need God? Is this something you want me to have? And I kept praying about it, and, and I asked a lot, of, a lot of you guys, even in this room, who know a lot about mowers and engines and all kinds of stuff. And it's, oh, you got to go get it. It's a steal. And I prayed and prayed and prayed, and God just kind of placed this number in my head, 500. So I asked her if I could go and see the mower, and she, so she said, yeah. So I came down, and she had it all fired up. She washes and waxes this mower, okay? It's beautiful. It's twice the size of what I saw. I call this thing the beast, okay? I had a 48-inch cutting deck. This is a 52-inch cutting deck, okay? The tires come up to here, okay? At one point, um, I was cutting my grass, and you know the turtle and the rabbit, right? Uh, I realized that I was all the way down at the turtle, and just for a second, I stopped the mower just to go up to the rabbit. And just, and I was like, oh, wait, that's too much, you know? And I brought it back down again. And it was all digital. It had headlights that worked for the first time in my life, Headlights that worked and had this odometer on it uh, that had 50 miles, okay? And then I cut my, my grass just to test it out and put two miles on it. So that let me know that it's only cut 25 lawns. It was only three years old. She only wanted 600 bucks. And so I went to her and I, I said, 
man, this is such a steal. This is, I'm not trying to be rude. This is such a great offer. But I'm wondering, can I give you 500 for it? She said, yes. And she threw in a, a, a dumping trailer that's the size of a twin bed. These brand new blades, a can of fix and flat just in case, an oil changing kit with the, with the pan and everything. I've never changed oil before. I gotta learn. My dad's gotta teach me. Okay? She threw in all this stuff. And so I'm riding this, this mower back up to, back up to my house. And now I'm having fantasies about cutting my grass, you know? And I'm kind of wishing winter wasn't coming because I'm looking forward to cutting my grass. Well, it wasn't a few days, uh, it wasn't until a few days later that I had some, some friends over. And we, we had some couples over, and, uh, and, and one of the guys knew about the new riding mower. So he got all the guys together. He said, let's go, see, let's go see Doug's new riding mower. You know, and he's all excited. Let's go. And so we start to walk down the steps, and another friend of ours had said, oh, man, I'm kind of jealous because you know, my riding mower died two years ago. Oh, God has always taught me <laughs> tough lessons. <laughs> I failed at miserably. But thankfully, I'm beginning to listen that when you're blessed, there's another opportunity to have a blessing. And so I had this other mower that I know I could have gotten at least 100 bucks for, right? And so we started walking down the steps. I said, your mower died? He said, yeah. And I said, well, you got a new one. I mean, not new, but you got, you got one. You could have mine. And then when we get down to the basement, he takes a look at my old mower, and it's the exact same mower he has at home. And in fact, the parts of his mower that aren't working are working on mine, and the parts that aren't working on mine are working on his. And he said, Doug, please, you got to let me give you something for this. Even a little bit, you got to let me give you something for this. And I said, no, I can't accept that from you because then you would be taking my blessing. You'd be stealing my blessing because I've learned this lesson. I said, you've got to have it. I've been blessed with this other mower. You've got to have it. I've got to give it to you. So he came with a truck and he picked it up. Two days later, it was a Sunday. I walked into my office and a woman completely unrelated to this whole riding mower business had put a card on my desk. It was a thank you card. And inside the card was $600. $500 to put on that credit card. But with that other $100, I said, let's let this ride. (laughs) Let's have some fun. So I gave it to a missionary and just want to let it ride and just see what happens. Not that I believe that God's going to give me more money, but I just, want, I just want to see how God's going to grow me spiritually because of that. Did you know that tithing is the only place that God invites you to test him? In fact, Malachi 3, God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of the heaven's armies, of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Now, a lot of people A lot of preachers and a lot of televangelists get this scripture wrong. This is not prosperity gospel. This is not you give a little bit to me and look at what God's going to give back to you. That's not what this is about. What this is about is God says, if you put me first, if you give that tithe, that 10%, 
to that church you love, to the God that you love. If you put me first, what you have left, look at what I'm going to do with it. Look at the blessing that I'm going to do with it. Because you cannot outgive God. Watch for the blessing. Watch for the peace. Watch for the growth in your life. Guilt-driven and prosperity gospel giving is useless. Why? Because it destroys God's process to grow you through giving. You see, God doesn't want money. God wants your heart. He just knows that where your money is, he'll probably find your heart. I just want to put two scriptures, refer to two scriptures that we've already talked about for a minute. 2 Corinthians, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Malachi 3, try it, put me to the test. This week in the mail, you're going to get one of these stewardship cards. I wonder, would you be willing to just try it this year? Would you be willing to just try it? Would you be willing to put God to the test? Not because I or any of the pastors of the series have made you feel guilty in any way. Not because you feel pressure to give. Don't give if you feel pressure to give. But because you want to give. Because you trust God's promise to provide. Because you want God to have your heart. Will you try it? Will you put him to the test and wait to see what God's going to do with what's left over? Let's pray. Father God, again, I just thank you so much for this place and this church. Lord, I thank you. I just thank you that I get to belong to this family. And Lord, I thank you for your word, even though it talks about some pretty tough stuff. And God, your word is just filled and filled with promises and teachings about money. And sometimes it makes us squirm to, to listen to them, to hear them. But God, I just pray as we leave this place, maybe we might go home and read a little bit more from your word. That we might study for ourselves what your promises are. God, I, I just pray that we would prayerfully consider what we might give this year. That we might try it. That we might take you up on your offer and put you to the test and just wait and see what you're going to do in our lives. I thank you, God, for you and for your word. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.